Amen. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5 today. It's interesting the, uh, the word that the Lord laid on Mary's heart this morning about God calling us to battle because she has no idea what I'm preaching on today. But the Lord laid that on her heart and it fits perfectly with what the Lord laid on my heart today. Let's begin with a very familiar passage of Scripture, verse 13 through 16, and then we're going to go in Matthew 5 to verse 43 through 48. Look at verse 13 with me. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled under foot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Lord, we thank you for your word. Let it Lord, just come alive in our hearts today. Lord, give us greater revelation, Lord, in this passage of your Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. The title for my message today is a little different. I titled it, If Ever There Was a Time, It Is Now. Did you get that, Yuri? If Ever There Was a Time, It Is Now. We stand at the crossroads in our nation. We're at a pivotal time. All of us have seen what's taking place in our, in our country, and, and most of us stand in awe, and we can't believe everything that's taking place. The headlines today are, are simply unbelievable. Just a few of them I saw this week. Criminal justice system imploding. Another 1.5 million jobless claims. 140,000 businesses still closed. We see the protest and the looting. We see monuments being destroyed. We see those that are demanding that the police department be defunded. There's an increase in violent crime. We see all these things and, and it's difficult for us to imagine it. We, we say, where's the America that I grew up in, that I know? What's happened to this nation? And I hear Christians that come to me all the time, Pastor, I just don't know what to do. What, what can we do? How can we make a difference? And I want to talk to you not only this week, but next week as well. We're not going to have time to finish, but I want you to join me as we discuss Scripture. What can a Christian do in times like this? And first of all, if there was ever a time, it's now. We need to get engaged. We need to say, Lord, here I am. Use me. Lord, let me be the salt. Let me be the light. Amen? Let me be that city on a hill. Whoever's around me, let them see Christ Jesus and His power and His strength and His victory in my life that they'll want to know what is the difference about me. The year was 1867. There was a man named Charles E. Weller. And he was warming up his fingers on a newfangled contraption called the typewriter. 
And this is the sentence that he just spontaneously typed out. He says, now is the time for all good men to come to the aid of their country. Now is the time for all good men and women to come to the aid of their country. There's no doubt that he didn't have any inkling of understanding as to how powerful a statement that is and has been through the history of our nation. I'm thankful that from generation to generation, there have been men and women that have risen to the the call of God and stood against evil in our world. Amen? I'm thankful for our military men and women. I'm thankful for our police officers. I'm thankful for those that just stand in the gap in prayer. And I believe that today is no different. It is time for good men and women to stand up and be the salt and be the light. That we can make a difference in our nation, in our city, in our world. Two decades ago, America was flourishing. It was prospering. And the other nations of the world wanted to know what was the key that was taking place in the United States that was bringing such great prosperity and blessing to our nation. France was one of those countries. They sent a man by the name of Alexander de Tocqueville. And Alexander came and he was observing, he was an ambassador from from France, and he was observing what made America great. And when he had been here and when he had studied and seen our nation and what was taking place, he was doing so that he could take it and mirror it in France, hopefully, so that they would prosper. And this is what he said. He said, America is great because America is good. But when America ceases to be good, she, sh- she shall cease to be great. And church, we have reached that point because America is no longer good and we are no longer great like we once were. So what is the answer? What can a Christian do? We need to do what God's Word tells us to do. Amen? I believe that there are still people that love this nation that are willing to stand for this country and get on their knees for this country and begin to cry out to God and begin to enter into the battle. Church, what do we need to do as Christians? We need to enter into the battle. We need to fight for our country. If we don't fight for our country, it's going to hell in a handbag. And I mean that literally. There is a hell that desires to take over our nation. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we're going to take a stand. As for me and my house, we're going to say, no, we're not going to let this country be lost. There are so many people today that are Christians that say, well, the Bible says things are going to get bad in the last days. So they just want to come over here and Just say, okay, Lord, I'm ready. Get me out of here. They start doing their rapture drill. (laughs) Lord, get me out of here. 
No, he says, occupy till I come. He says, do business for the kingdom until I come. That's what we've been called to do. The scripture also says in the last days there's going to be a great outpouring of the Spirit of God. There's going to be a great revival. He says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So as a Christian, that's what I'm focusing on, not focusing on the increase of evil. Yes, it's going to increase, but at the same time, when the darkness is, is at midnight, the darkness is so dark and just overwhelming, the smallest of candle dispels the darkness. And I want to be that candle. God's Word tells us something powerful. It tells us that we're not battling against flesh and blood. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So as Christians, we need to realize that our country is being deceived. There are people that don't know that there's a God that loves them, a God that cares for them, a God that, that brought forth this nation to be a light to the world. Amen? You can't look at Scripture and, and look at our founding fathers. I thank God for our founding fathers. They were men of courage. It took courage because they were going to be labeled traitors. They could lose their lives. Yet they believed. I love their motto. No king but King Jesus. That was the motto of the Revolutionary War. No king but King Jesus. Our motto needs to be no king but King Jesus for America again. Amen? We need to turn back to the Lord. But our founding fathers, many of them were pastors. I think four of them were pastors. And many others were pastor's sons. And the majority of them were connected with their churches, lay leaders in their churches. Why do you think our laws are structured like they are and our, our constitution and everything is structured in a way that it points to the fact that we believe there's a God and that those rights that we have weren't given by a king or a government. They're given to us by God and God alone. Amen? Oh, pa Pastor Don and I are on the same track. He's the only one like that. Let's look at Matthew 43 and 48. I want you to see God's heart for broken humanity. He says, you have heard that it was said, Jesus is speaking, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than the others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now the reference here to tax collectors 
is far beyond any ill feelings you may have about the IRS. Most of us are not thrilled when they come to our door. But in this time, a tax collector was a traitor. A tax collector was someone that had turned his back on everything precious to him. All the people around him. And he had aligned himself and given himself to be a tool of Rome. To be a tool of the oppressive occupying force. And so they were looked down at. Matthew was a tax collector. And Matthew knew what he was saying. He's saying even the tax collectors, you know, greet one another. They care about one another. But they're traitors. But the message here in, in Matthew's life is powerful. You can turn your back on everything that's precious to you. You can... You can throw them under the bus. You can become a traitor. And God is greater than what you have done. Aren't you thankful for that today? God's greater. Matthew was transformed. He had a a, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He was a follower of Christ. Matthew was changed. He received forgiveness in his heart. And then he was a forgiver. In this passage, it also talks about our Creator as being a Father. Most of us have difficulty when we read Scripture and we see God as our Heavenly Father because our earthly fathers make mistakes. Our earthly fathers aren't perfect. But church, there is a Father who is a perfect Father. It's our Father in Heaven. He is compassionate. He is loving. He is nurturing. He wants the best for us. He desires to bless us. And that's the Father that the world needs to know. Amen? They need to know there is a heavenly Father that cares about you and has a plan for your life. I want to look at several verses, but one more verse before we go on in this chapter chapter of Matthew 5. Verse 48. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. How many have ever read that and you felt, oh, whoa, how can I be perfect? Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you're not perfect. (laughs) None of us are perfect. Well, what we need to understand is God God isn't saying in that passage, He's not calling us into sinless perfection. Okay? You know, when we read that, we think, oh Lord, I love you and I love your word and I'm thankful for your your forgiveness in my life. But Lord, as hard as I try and I want to live for you, I want to live righteous, I want to live holy, I want to be perfect, Lord, but I'm flesh and bones and I make mistakes. But that's not what God's calling us to. In the Greek, what it is saying is that we need to allow God to grow us up or to mature us. It has to do with maturing. Not sinless perfection, 
but allowing the grace of God to work in our lives and say, Lord, I want to be more like Jesus every day. I want your grace working in my life every day so that I become more and more like Jesus. I have the heart of Jesus, the characteristics of Jesus. When people see me, they're amazed. They know that's not you. That's got to be something bigger than you. Right? Church, as Hank would say, it's time to put on your big boy pants. Amen? It's time for the church to say, I am going to allow the grace of God to work through my life, to empower me, to strengthen me, so that when people see my life, they see Jesus. They see His characteristics. They see His strength, His power, His victory in my life. Amen? Church, we can't do it on our own. We can't just decide, oh, I'm going to just be perfect today. I'm going to be mature in the things of God. No. It's, Lord, I surrender all to You and only by Your grace can I live the life that You've called me to live today. Amen? But we need to, we need to say, Lord, I want to mature too many Christians are running around in their spiritual diapers. Some of you are saying, I've never heard a pastor talk like this. I wonder how many people he's run off. I can tell you, I've run off a lot. But I'm going to stand before God one day, and I'm going to have to give account... And I want you to be like the Word says. I want you to grow. I want you to mature in the things of God. Don't be satisfied with where you are. Don't be satisfied with wearing a spiritual diaper the rest of your life. Get into the meat of God's Word. Begin to grow and welcome the grace and the mercy and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And say, God, I'm going to grow. I'm going to mature because you are calling me to the battlefield in these last days. You are not an accident, church. God didn't make a mistake when you were born. He has you in this time for what's taking place that you can be the salt and be the light and make a difference and enter into the battle. Amen? The first thing we need to do, I'm going to give you just five of them today. Five points and, and, and then we're going to stop. The first one, trust in God's Word. God has given us His Word to guide us, to direct us, to help us understand, to give greater revelation as to how we are to live, who we are to be. And one of the promises He gives us, everybody knows this Scripture, 2 Chronicles 7.14. Almost everybody here probably has read that numerous times. But what I want to ask you, do you believe that's a promise for God for our nation today? If my people who are called by my name, who is he addressing? Is he addressing those that don't know him, those that don't believe him? No. He's addressing those that have an intimate relationship with him and are called by his name. That's us. That's the church. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. In other words, 
We recognize we can't save this nation. This nation is a result of the grace and the mercy and the plan of God. And the only one that's going to save this nation is God Himself. But we have a part to play that we humble ourselves and get down on our knees before God. And what's the next thing say? Pray. Humbly come in prayer. Church, I want to ask you, have you been praying for our nation? Have you been praying for the riots? Praying for the things that are taking place? I hope that you have. But it's more than that. It's not just sitting at dinner and saying, Lord, bless this food to my body. Oh, yeah, and Lord, help our nation. Amen. It's time that we entered into the battle. The battle is when we pray. The battle is in the spiritual realm. Now, I'm not saying that evil never manifests in the physical realm. You know it does. And I'm not saying as a Christian that you, that you just have to sit there and let the evil overrun you or your family. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying according to God's Word, all that evil that is manifesting physically in the physical realm has something going on in the spiritual realm behind it. Is that truth? It is. Amen. Pray and seek my face. God's calling the church to a more intimate relationship with Him than what we have. We're already people that that know Him and we're called by His name. But He's saying, seek my face. Seek God intimately. Spend time alone. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in the Word of God. Seek God. And then what does he say? Turn from their wicked ways. Church, that's, that's putting on your big boy pants. It's not, it's not saying that this sin that I don't overcome in my life, that it's just, okay, it's not that big a deal. It's saying, Lord, I don't want that in my life. Lord, I don't want to fall into wickedness. Lord, help me. Let your grace work in me. Turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. There's God's promise. God isn't going to ignore your prayers. God is going to hear our prayers. And then what does it say? And will forgive their sin and heal their land. That's the promise of God. That's not Pastor Milt's promise to you. That's the promise of God. And church, I just encourage you, begin to to read that and believe it and claim that promise and enter into prayer. Humble yourself before God. Turn from any wickedness in your life. God's going to hear you. God's going to forgive us of our sin. And God will heal our land. Do you believe God can heal our land? Yes, He can. Many people know this verse. Many people quote this verse. But a lot of us don't apply it. We don't believe it down and deep in our hearts. We say, oh, that's just one of those Old Testament verses. Yeah, it's kind of cool, but I don't know if it's really got any power. There's no word of God that is without power. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18 and 18, I love this passage. Assuredly, I say to you, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything 
that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three agree together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Church, when we come together in agreeing prayer, it is powerful. Amen? It makes a difference. And I quote this passage all the time. But church, we need to not just hear this, know it, and be able to quote it. We need to walk it out in our everyday lives. James chapter 5, verse 16, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And that's speaking of mankind, so it includes women. Church, praying together is powerful. And I don't know what other churches are doing. I believe God's moving in the hearts of other pastors and other congregations. But as for our church, I feel the Lord just impressing on my heart that it's time. It's time. We can't let it continue. We have to enter into the battle. We have to pray for our nation. In Acts chapter 4, it was a time of persecution in the church. And the church comes together for prayer. Church, I want you to know, the early church gathered together for prayer. Prayer was foundational in the early church. And it wasn't just, now lay me down to sleep, pray the Lord my soul to keep. It wasn't, Lord, thank you for the grub, amen. They gathered together for times of prayer because that's where the battle is won. Our weapons are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We come together and we pray. In Acts chapter 4, verse 29, let me read to you their prayer. Now, Lord, look on their threats. They're, they're saying, Lord, we're being persecuted. They're threatening our lives. But they didn't say, Lord, protect us, or Lord, get us out of this mess. What did they pray? And grant to your servants with all boldness they may speak your word. That's powerful, church. With all boldness they may speak your word. By stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, did you hear that? And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. They prayed, Lord, don't help get us out of here and stop these people from persecuting us and threatening to kill us. They said, Lord, give us even more boldness to be the church. Lord, empower us with your Holy Spirit that we'll be bold in the things of God and we'll take the battle to the enemy. And church, that's where we are. That's what we need. I, know, I also want you to notice they prayed for miracles. Church, if you've been here very long and been a part of our family, you know that we believe in miracles. The God who spoke this universe into existence is more than capable of bringing a miracle into your life. He's no respecter of persons. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, Scripture says. God still does miracles and we need to be a church that prays 
God confirm your word through miracles. The second thing I want us to see, we need the force of God's love flowing through our lives. Back in the Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 and 44, Jesus says, love our enemies and bless those who curse us. How many does that come naturally easy for you? How many, when you look at the things on the TV and the monuments being torn down and the riots and the looting and all this stuff, how many of you are like Pastor Milt and in the flesh you would really love to walk up and knock somebody upside the head? That's the flesh. I admit it. I see that. And that's what I want to do. I want to grab them and say, what's wrong with you? (laughs) But that's not what Jesus tells me to do. What does Jesus tell me to do? To love them and to bless them. Why? Because they're deceived. Because they're hurting. Because the enemy's been lying to them. And because they're just like us without Jesus. So we love them. We bless them. We pray for them. The third thing. Church, it's time for us to value life. I said it's time for the church to rise up and not be ashamed to value life. Every year in the United States, there's a million six hundred thousand children that are murdered in their mother's womb. If you've read much of God's Word, you know that God says that every single child is precious to Him. That's four hundred or 4,383 children are murdered in our mother's wombs every day in the United States. And because we have devalued life in the womb, our nation is, is beginning to devalue life before the tomb. Even in our gov- government, in Obamacare, as they call it, You reach a certain age and they wouldn't provide the medical care because you're no longer considered a productive member of society. Euthanasia is being accepted in in many states now. But church, God says every life is valuable. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, it says... Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. That's talking about mankind. God says to pray for them, intercede for them, and be thankful for them. Why? Because every single one of us matters to God. Every single one of us is important to Him. And He wants us to pray for every single one. Then He talks about those that are in authority. For kings and all who are in authority. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in godliness and reverence. Church, if if there's one reason to pray, and I'm not getting political, it doesn't matter who's in the White House, who's our governor, we need to pray for them. Amen? 
Because God's Word gives us a promise there. If we pray for those that are in authority over us, we'll lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. And then he says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved. Why do we need to pray for everyone? So that they'll be saved. That's what it said. In other words, there's not one of us here today that have a relationship with Christ and know Him as Savior and Lord that somebody didn't pray for you. It may have been a grandmother, a grandfather, it may have been your mom or your dad, it may have been a friend, but somebody prayed that you would open your heart to Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that if I just pray for Keith over there, God save him, that God's just going to save him without his consent. Because God's given us a free will, right? But without us praying, he didn't stand a chance according to this passage. Why do we need to pray for our nation? So that they'll be saved. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, there's another verse. God's speaking to Jeremiah the prophet, and he says, Behold, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Think about that. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Now God hasn't called all of us to be a Jeremiah and be a prophet to the nations, but God has known us before we were formed in our mother's womb and He has set us apart for His plan for our lives. Every one of us. Church life must be valued. The fourth thing, love the body of Christ. In the church at large today, there are various different denominations. And guess what? We worship different. Our liturgy is different. The way we conduct our services is different. God's Word does not give us a formal plan for that. And I think that's awesome. God tells us to love Him, tells us to worship Him, tells us to come together. But he doesn't say, this is exactly what you need to do here. So some of us love to worship and we come and we lift our hands. Some of us may fall on our knees and cry out to God. Others may have a a real ritualistic form of worship. But church, we need to love the body of Jesus Christ. We're not all the same. God created us different and I'm thankful for that. The church, there are those that have a ministry that they think that they're the watchdog for Jesus Christ. And they look at every telecast or every, every church and every denomination. And if anything disagrees with what they believe, then they cry out, heretic! Church, I want to tell you this. There, there are several... <laughs> You know, fringe things in, in doctrine that people believe that may, different, different, that may be different than what I believe, but church, if they believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, that He came from 
heaven from glory. That he was born of a virgin. That he lived a sinless life. That he went to the cross and died for our sins. And on the third day he rose again. And that he's promised the same Jesus who ascended to the right hand of God the Father is coming back again. There's foundational truths that we all agree upon. I'm not saying you can't find a church that's gone off the deep end that doesn't have the foundational truths. But I'm saying those, those brothers and sisters in Christ, you know they love Jesus. You can tell they've got a personal relationship with them. It doesn't matter what doctrinal uh, beliefs may be a little different. It, may not, it doesn't matter what denominational tag they have. I look at denominations just like I look at family surnames. My family is the Michners. Denominational. I've got good friends that are Baptist. I grew up in Texas. It's almost all Baptist. They still love me even though I was Assembly of God. I've preached in Methodist churches. I've gone back to Texas and preached in Baptist churches. I've preached in non-denominational churches. I've, I've preached in Episcopal and various different churches. Presbyterian. But you know what, church? We need to love Jesus and love His body. And come together in the unity of the, of the Word of God, the unity of Christ. And say, I, I don't have to, I can sit down and I can tell you what I believe and why I believe it and give you scriptures. You can do the same with me. We may disagree, but on the fundamental truths, we're brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We love one another and we love our country. We're going to come together and we're going to battle for our nation. Amen. So we love the body of Christ. And the fifth thing, and we're going to close. We're called to pursue peace. When Billy Graham was asked years ago, what was the greatest problem that he saw in the United States? Or actually in the world. He said this. He said, strife and racial hatred. Stress and decision brought thereby. The church was born... In ethnic multiplication. I mean, there were people from all different nationalities when the church was born. And the church should model ethnic reconciliation. In Acts 17, verse 26, if you, if you don't get anything else today, remember this verse. Acts 17, 26. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. According to God, he says there's one race, the human race. You cut us and we all bleed red. He's saying that we're all one race. And today, racial tension is growing and racial prejudice cannot be in the church. How are we going to win the world if we have the same prejudice that the world does? We're a peculiar people. We're different. They're supposed to see us as different. And here's a news flash for you. Heaven, and according to Revelation 7 and 9, says after these things, John says after these things, 
I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands. They all share in the righteousness of Jesus. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of God's glory. But Jesus' righteousness is imputed to each one of us when we come and surrender our lives to Him and ask Him to forgive us. The church will not have credibility if the people in the world don't see a difference in the church. In fact, this week, I was thumbing through some of the headlines, and there was a man who's a left-leaning activist named Sean King. And he was calling for all the statues of Jesus to be torn down because, in his words, that was the ultimate picture of white supremacy. The guy has no clue. Nothing could be further from the truth. Amen? Jesus was Jewish. He most likely had olive-colored skin and dark hair. And church, I'm thankful that everybody doesn't look like me. And you can say, yes, pastor, we're thankful everybody doesn't look like you. You know what? When I was in Bible school, I I met this cute little girl that had dark brown hair and dark brown eyes and olive skin, and I fell in love with her. And when we had kids, the first two were blue-eyed and blonde-headed. And so Melinda said, Lord, just give me one that looks like me. Then we had Michelle, dark head, dark eyed. God paints with a beautiful paintbrush, church. And every one of us is beautiful. And every one of us is unique. And every one of us is different. And we need to see each other in that beauty. Amen? Worship team, I want you to come forward. As we close today, I want to challenge you. On Sunday nights, we have an hour of prayer. And I know that everyone can't make it, but I want to challenge you one Sunday night a month to come and pray for our nation. We have different ones in leadership that will come and say, the Lord's laying this on my heart, this verse, and I want us to pray this direction. But almost every Sunday night, we'll corporately pray for our nation, for our leaders. We'll also many times pray for our loved ones that don't know Jesus yet. We even have a a red uh, folder. It's usually, oh, there it is right there. And if you have a family or friend that doesn't know Jesus yet, you can write their name in that red folder and we're going to pray for their salvation. But church, it's time to put our big boy pants on and realize if we're going to see our nation turned around, somebody's got to get on their knees. Somebody's got to enter the battle. And I'm calling our church into battle. 
Because we are in a war. I want you to stand with me. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come forward and for those that come forward and then others in the back. And I want to, I want to challenge you that, that picture of the battle for the nation. Maybe you want to step out and just come and agree in prayer with one of our prayer team members today. But maybe you're facing a battle in your own family or a battle at work some other kind of battle. If you're facing a battle, I want you to find somebody to pray with and just begin to pray. And in just a moment, we're going to have a a corporate prayer. If you can, please stay for just another couple of minutes. Today, the Martin family is, this is their last Sunday with us, and I want to pray for them. They're moving south to Oregon. And we're going to miss them, but we love them and we want to pray for them today before we go. So as Mitch begins to lead us in a, in a chorus, will you come? Will you find somebody to pray with today? If you're in a battle today and you want the Lord to intervene in that battle,